0: to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds and the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, yes. a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom yes. and the security of justice. Yes.
1: This is Clark Ollers. Before we begin our next podcast, I wanted to comment on something I happened upon in my reading this week. First of all, I'm a reader. I thank my mother for instilling me with a lifelong love of reading and my father for instilling me with a lifelong appreciation for expression with words. With the advent of Amazon, of course, anybody can sit at home and, and have a library at their fingertips, in a sense, order anything they want online. It's delivered within a day or two. And one of my favorite writers is a man named Joseph Wamba spells the last name W-A-M-B-A-U-G-H. Now, Joseph Wamba was a sergeant on the Los Angeles Police Department and really started as a novelist. Uh, Some of his novels, The New Centurions, Blue Knight, The Choir Boys, Black Marble, and so forth. But he also, probably less well-known, but he's written a number of nonfiction books. And I ordered two of them just to I had never read them and just wanted to read them. I ordered Echoes in the Darkness, which are – that is a book about three murders that occurred in Pennsylvania and the incredible investigation by the Pennsylvania State Police. And the second book I ordered was called Fire Lover. It's a true story about a prolific serial arsonist in uh, California. And I came upon this paragraph, which relates directly to the podcast of last week. The podcast last week was, What the Hell is Balkanization in Law Enforcement? And here's the paragraph written by Joseph Wamba, page 87 of his book, Fire Lover. It has always been remarkable that American law enforcement does as decent a job as it does in spite of the balkanization of the profession. The U.S. fear of a national police force has resulted in thousands of autonomous police agencies staffed by people who jealously guard their turf, their sources, and every scrap of information, both vital and trivial. Many times, the networking that takes place is appallingly fragmented and informal. So I wish I'd come upon that before we did the episode. Wanted to share that with our audience. And now our next episode. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines. My name is Clark Ollers. And I'm Serge Antonin. And today's topic, is it time to break up the FBI? The Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, celebrates its birthday as July of 1908, when the United States Attorney formed a Bureau of Investigation, for the United States Department of Justice, using a small number of agents hired away from the U.S. Secret Service and several dozen men hired directly.
0: Well, today it employs more than 37,000 people, has 36 field offices, 350 satellite offices,
1: dozens of foreign offices. Now, Serge, I think we should let our guests know that the FBI's uh, performance— in the 21st century, has been not perfect. Let's start with you, Serge, in 2001. Robert Hansen
0: was responsible for the worst intelligence disaster in American history, and he was an FBI
1: agent. 2005, FBI became involved in a gun battle with Puerto Rican nationalist leader, Filiberto Ojeda Rios. That was believed to be by many Puerto Ricans an assassination of a political leader by the FBI. In 2007,
0: an FBI agent was impersonating
1: an Associated Press reporter. In 2013, an FBI agent in Florida interrogated uh, Ibrahim Todoshev. He was uh, tangentially related to the Boston bombers. They interrogated him for eight hours in an apartment And then he was shot dead by the FBI interrogator who claimed he was attacked. July 5th of 2016, James
0: Comey's famous press conference where he declares Hillary Clinton extremely careless in her handling of classified information, but concludes that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. In November, after the election, Comey states that there was no wrongdoing by Clinton. In
1: 2018, the Nunes memo, the FISA warrant, Attorney General Sessions fired FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe for allowing the leaking of information and then misleading investigators about it. Ultimately, however, McCabe sued, was granted his retirement, his lawyers were paid half a million dollars, and Merrick Garland told Congress that the DOJ settled the lawsuit because they would have lost on the merits. Again, in
0: 2018, we have an FBI agent, Peter Strzok, who was having a lurid affair with FBI attorney Lisa Page. And during this time, Strzok was partly responsible for putting out the toxic information regarding Donald Trump and the possible
1: Russiagate scandal. Cut to 2023. Charles McGonigal, retired senior FBI official and former agent in charge, charged with falsifying FBI reports and money laundering on behalf of foreign clients. Hmm. All of these problems have led – I should say all these problems and more problems have led a number of conservatives around the country to argue that the FBI needs to be broken into – as few as four or as many as 12 smaller agencies. One example, one conservative says there should be five agencies, one for counterintelligence, another for counterterrorism, one for white-collar crime, one for the unique problems of cybercrime, and another for the regular garden-variety federal crime, bank robbery and so forth. Serge, you've got some thoughts on the FBI. You, we can't overlook
0: their shoddy job when it came to the Mar-a-Lago raid and the classified papers. That's one of my black eyes. And I'm not a Trump supporter. Why do you think it was shoddy? Well, because the the length of time it took for them to um, get search warrants to do it. If they thought it was urgent, top-secret information that he had... Taken and kept
1: it his home, why'd it take so long right? can i can I comment on that? Sir? I would like you to it It seems to me these are the these are the two po- points of the continuum, yes, on the left, if Trump is breaking federal law and it is a national security emergency, time is of the essence, absolutely. on the right, if Trump is doing what every former president has done, and just kept some papers and is working through them for his library, for his memoirs, whatever. If everybody does it, such as Joe Biden, then why did you have to have a cadre of FBI agents conducting a full-fledged search warrant on Mar-a-Lago? And here would be my question to that as
0: now a layperson. Isn't the Secret Service A federal law enforcement organization? Absolutely. And they're tasked with many things uh, dealing with—
1: One is security of the executive branch, president, but also uh, counterfeiting and all sorts of federal crimes.
0: Money laundering and such. Now, wouldn't Mar-a-Lago be
1: under 24-hour protection from the Secret Service? I would—first of all, Trump is— to the extent that Trump lives at Mar-a-Lago, it would be hard for me to imagine, even when Trump's away, that Trumpian doesn't have their presence.
0: That's my point. Correct. So technically, I would say that this is like almost like an extension of a vault, in a sense. Well, one of the things,
1: right? One of the things that occurred to me for the Mar-a-Lago raid is you have to pick your poison. Mm-hmm. Trump may not have been doing anything wrong. That's one possibility. Consistent with that is the fact the Secret Service, in his presence, took no law enforcement action. And that was the point I was getting
0: to. Would they work in concert with the Secret Service to, let's say, save Americans all this money? Because if nothing was going
1: on, wouldn't the Secret Service be able to say, hey? I I think the Mar-a-Lago raid was much ado about nothing personally. But the flip side of that is that if... Trump was committing a crime, then the you would think that we'd have had the FBI simultaneously asking somebody, the inspector general or somebody, to investigate the Secret Service for its complicity in Trump's criminal behavior. And then where does that leave us? Well, it turns know, into but, one but, big circle. But here. Here. all we hear is that Trump is public enemy number one. We're going to serve a search warrant. We're going to take a bunch of guns, which to me almost— it's almost unbelievable that they're going to serve a search warrant with guns when all of the guns at Mar-a-Lago, presumably every gun there is a taxpayer gun. <laughs> I do think that's quite funny. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. So other comment or other thoughts about our FBI? Well, one of the things that uh, –
0: I don't think people understand is that the FBI uses arbitrary performance metrics, which create incentives for the weaponization of FBI
1: resources. Uh, give an example of, of what that means.
0: All right, I'm going to read from this article in the from the Center for Renewing America. The FBI created the integrated program management system approximately 10 years ago to prioritize threats, allocate resources, and measure performance. The field offices and senior executive service leaders are rated and receive bonus compensation based on the system's predetermined metrics. The integrated program management evaluation system is a year-long cycle, which requires significant time investment from large swaths of FBI personnel and and incentivizes the use of inappropriate investigatory processes or tools to achieve arbitrary statistical accomplishments. The integrated program management's performance metrics essentially mandate a minimum number of intelligence products authored during the fiscal year, new cases open for each criminal or national security program, arrest quotas, surveillance operations, search warrant operations, polygraph examinations, national security letters, subpoena issuances, and subject interviews. Accordingly, quantity versus quality of casework or investigations is often emphasized.
1: Now, what that sounds like to me is- Crap. Okay. It's the federal equivalent of what the Baltimore Police Department did for years- And what the Maryland State Police still do. Which the DOJ frowned upon. That's absolutely right. In fact, that's an interesting point. The DOJ comes in and tells Baltimore not to to run their department that way. And the United States is running the FBI that way. The Maryland State Police are nothing if not statistically driven. The idea then of the conservatives of breaking the FBI into smaller agencies is that these large federal bureaucracies have become a power unto themselves. Yes. And one of the ways that power is shown is that I think no matter which side of the aisle you're on, the left or the right, almost everybody would agree that at the highest levels, the FBI is infected with political bias in this day and age. And one of the ways that, or one of the problems that conservatives have focused on is that the FBI is seeking to build a giant new headquarters. They're not satisfied with their headquarters in Washington, D.C. They've outgrown the building. The building's got all sorts of structural problems and so forth. And they're looking at Maryland, if I'm not mistaken. They're looking at Maryland and Virginia, the two Mm -hmm. places they're looking at. Yes. And first of all, there's at least one commentator, Victor Davis Hanson, who says that Giving the FBI a brand new building is rewarding them right now at a time when somebody should be checking them instead of just rewarding them. But another observation that a lot of people have made is, do we want the FBI located so close to Capitol Hill? Correct, correct, because it's becoming increasingly obvious that the FBI has become more and more political. And some of the thoughts are, let the FBI, if you're going to have their new building— Locate that headquarters in the Midwest and the Rust Belt and Southeastern United States or something like that. Another idea is if you break them into the four or five smaller agencies or even the 12 smaller agencies, locate each one of those agencies outside of the Washington area in the Midwest, Rust Belt, Southeastern United States and so forth. In other words, build up places where the economy could use the Workforce, the building, and so, and so forth, and the benefit being you're away from Washington, D.C.
0: That sounds reasonable. And another thing that this article spoke to was that the FBI, colluding with big tech to gather intelligence on Americans, censor political speech, and target citizens for malicious malicious prosecutions— and with them being so close to Capitol Hill, it's like, you know, talking over lunch. Who's well, the next one, target?
1: One of the problems is that the FBI became very, very close to Silicon Valley. The Absolutely. Op- the, you know, the op- the other coast of the United yes. States, the California coast. And one of the big, big problems, in my opinion, uh, and I'm not going into this, I'm not making an argument that the election between Biden and Trump was fixed by voting machine fraud or something of that nature, but there sounds is, like
0: what you're doing, Clark.
1: No, <laughs> I'm saying there is certainly an argument that certain information, such as the Hunter Biden laptop, yeah, which uh, certainly seems to contain evidence of of corruption, which may be very closely connected to the current president of the United States. The FBI went out of its way as well as the intelligence agencies, to kill that story pre-election mm-hmm. so that there was, a, in my mind, a type of tampering, not the tampering with the voting machines, a tampering with the free exchange of information under the First Amendment. And
0: a tampering with the press, it sounds like to me.
1: Yes. I Well, I agree completely. Actually, I think when we're probably both using the wrong word, tampering with the press. I like that The word, press tampering. was in bed with the FBI. Of course. In my they didn't have to tamper with the of press. Of course. They had to cuddle up even some more with yeah, you yeah. Know, an, another warm pillow and another bottle of wine. Yes. Because this was a symbiotic and close relationship between the FBI and the press in this country yep. throughout the campaign. Now, we had a guest on recently. I, I find this kind of a... I'll say this, Serge. I find it a conundrum. Who's the guest? Serge, the guest was Mo Robinson, and he was talking about leadership. And he made the strong point that the Baltimore Police Department lacked leadership from the level of sergeant to police commissioner. And one of the things you and I discussed off off air after the Mo Robinson uh, episode was my, I call it a conundrum or my, the tension is this in my mind. Mm -hmm. It's great to say we want the sergeant, the lieutenant, the captain, and so forth, all the way up major, deputy commissioners, we want them all to be leaders. But if I'm the police commissioner, I'm not really asking them to be leaders in the sense of you set your goal, you set the way of reaching your goal, and you lead your troops towards that goal. If I'm the commissioner, I'm really saying what I want the sergeant, lieutenant, captain to do is follow my orders. There's only one goal, and I said it. Correct. And you manage your people accordingly. Correct. So I, get I think it. there's an in, in, kind of an internal conflict there. Mm-hmm. And so part of what I wonder about when I think of civilian control of the FBI is this. All the conservatives around the country say that the FBI has become too political. But we, we just presented evidence really. I think we did. Yeah. On the other hand, Serge, do we want a system where you and I go and we vote and we elect we and every other American votes in an election and we elect uh in this case Joe Biden to be president mm-hmm. of the United States. But we all want Joe Biden to have no power to control and direct the FBI. It would seem to me then what we're saying is the FBI is an independent source of power beyond the reach of politics, beyond the reach of the voter. That doesn't that doesn't appeal to me either, Serge.
0: I almost don't know what the answer is when it comes to this, because well, you're right. In both senses, like, do we want the president because the FBI then changes with the president? And they're not supposed to. And we also don't want inexperienced civilians determining what the FBI, who is supposed to be the most powerful investigatory body in the
1: nation. But we don't want – let's say in the last couple of years, the FBI in one of its uh, 36 field offices issued a letter about terrorism. Mm -hmm. And the letter implied – that Roman Catholics who attend the Latin Mass were likely domestic terrorists or could be investigated for domestic terrorism. Now, I find that ludicrous. Now,
0: are they saying that because of child abuse or something? I have no idea why
1: they're saying it. That wasn't clear. Okay. It wasn't clear to me. All right. But let's just say um, I'm voting for Mr. Smith to be president. Mm-hmm. when Mr. Smith's elected, I want him to go tell the FBI you're not to investigate Roman Catholics who attend Latin mass that's protected First Amendment behavior It's absurd to connect that as, as absurd to label that domestic terrorism remember Serge the same type of thing was done with parents at school boards uh they were protesting for example in Virginia they were protesting the use of ladies rooms by boys by trans <laughs> by transident or by by males identifying as females and the particular issue in virginia was a rape that had occurred that had been covered up by the school system and parents were raising hell at a school board meeting mm-hmm. and ultimately one was arrested at a school board meeting who was trying to say my daughter was right. And
0: recently he's been pardoned or cleared. Yes. yes absolutely. For, yep, pardoned because by it the, was ridiculous. I
1: know pardoned by the governor. It yes, was ridiculous. ridiculous. But uh, so I, again, there is a tension. I don't want, and this is, I guess in part, we rely upon the goodwill, the good faith, the oath that various, all members of our government take. Our president takes an oath to uphold and defend the constitution. The director of the FBI takes an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. On the one hand, I don't want the president saying to the FBI. I don't want Trump saying to the FBI, "Go investigate Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton." Why yeah. <laughs> Correct. And I don't want Joe Biden saying to the FBI, "Go investigate Trump without merit." Correct. And without. only
0: because I said so. I Correct. get. I get it. Correct. I mean, I without get it.
1: merit. Yeah. On the other hand. I also don't want a system where the FBI speaks for itself. It answers to the Almighty, which was implied in Comey's uh, autobiography, Yes, that we answer not to the government of the United States, not to the people of the United States. We enter to God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Fa- fair enough. You can have a religious belief, Mr. Comey. Fair enough. But in terms of what you were hired to do, you were hired— <laughs> How by, do we know what God's saying to you? Correct. <laughs> Very good point. You were hired by taxpaying Americans to work for us and to follow our Constitution. I don't care that you go to confession or you pledged your life to the Roman Catholic faith or to the Pope. You took an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States, and you answer to— the civil authority of the United States, which is the President of the United States and the Congress of the United States. Well, the courts of the United States.
0: I hate this word, but that that speaks to the importance the importance of transparency when it comes to these investigations. But as we both know, so much stuff is hidden and burned that
1: We never know. I agree. One of the most interesting things to me about the issue of transparency, and I think it fits right into the, the kind of the inherent problems here. And I don't hate the word because I don't like what it means. I hate
0: the word because it's thrown around and oftentimes
1: dishonestly thrown around. No question. First of all, all of us recognize certain criminal investigations can't be completely transparent Because you'd be identifying to the criminal suspect your avenues of investigation, Mm -hmm. allowing the criminal suspect to get rid of evidence and and so forth. Get rid of witnesses, perhaps. Yeah, I get it. So we don't want that. No. On the other hand, such things—and I I literally uh, told you about the case that the Puerto Rican nationalist Rios— Killed in a gun battle with the FBI in two thousand five, that case went all the way to the Supreme Court, which basically said the FBI doesn't have to reveal everything it knows about the case. So <laughs> who is the FBI seriously, so who is the FBI answering to in that case? Apparently the FBI is answering to the FBI. And we're back to power corrupting absolutely. Absolutely. So Sergeant, ultimately, if you had to choose one or the other, uh, a stronger, unified FBI with central power closely located to the capital of the United States. Or if you just had to choose one or the other, a binary choice, central power or 12 smaller agencies spread around the country, each having its own, basically its own authority to investigate a limited area of criminal activity counterintelligence, counterterrorism, white-collar crime, cybercrime, so on and so forth. If you had to choose, which would you choose and why? And the government's paying both well, the government's choices. got – look, you just told us at the beginning of this that the budget was for the FBI was $11 billion. No, but my
0: point is the government is is responsible for compensating both choices, like whether it's the 12 agencies or Not the, both choices, either choice.
1: Either – that's what I mean. Right, one of the other choices, right. You know what I mean. And so the, the FBI could be broken into 11 $1 billion uh, agencies or – one 11 billion dollar agency for example I think I'm going to
0: have to go with FBI as it stands now because uh, I do think uh, we deserve better checks and balances but I don't want 11, 12 little bastard agencies running around doing whatever they want to do so <laughs> I, I'm i going to go with um, the FBI as it stands I just think that we need to measure things better that's all
1: well, we certainly I, – I certainly think there's a culture in the FBI that defeats fair, democratic investigation. And, if, if, Serge, can I tell you a story about my decision to apply for the FBI? I'd love you to tell that story. So I'm in law – I went to law school not to be – a practicing attorney, particularly not to be a criminal defense attorney, (laughs) my goal in going to law school was to be employed by the FBI. Mm -hmm. And basically in those days, we're talking 36, 37 years ago, in those days, one way into the FBI was to have a degree in accounting, very, very strong. And the other way was law. And then there was a I guess, an added benefit to local law enforcement experience. Yeah, yeah. So I figured if I had the law degree and the local law enforcement experience, I was likely to be employed by the FBI. So I get through law school, and a former assistant state's attorney in the Howard County Office of the State's Attorney, who'd become—he'd left the state's attorney's office to go into law enforcement, FBI— He is a recruiter. Contacts me for the recruitment breakfast. You know, he's going to take me to breakfast and pitch the FBI to me. Now, did you know him before that? Yes, and oh, I had, okay, and had great respect for him before and after <laughs> the breakfast. All right, I'm down here. So, but <laughs> at the breakfast, he's pitching the FBI to me, and among other things, he says basically in the FBI, your wife will socialize with other FBI wives, and you will basically do what you're told and keep your mouth shut. The FBI really emphasizes keeping your mouth shut and following orders. Mm-hmm. That's the, I guess, mantra of the FBI. And he's telling me this. And I'm sitting across the breakfast table and I'm thinking to myself, I think I know this guy. Does he know me? Because... I've just never been well-known as a person who keeps his mouth shut and his opinions to himself. Yeah. But I'm listening, and I'm thinking, well, he's trying to Pitch educate the FBI. me. Yeah. I think he really does want me for the FBI, mm-hmm. but he's trying to tell me, I mean, this is how you behave from junk, Clark. So when you go in for your interview, kind of, you know.
0: Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> so I'm listening to him, and then almost as though he reads my mind, he says, well, I'll, I'll tell you what happens if you open your mouth. We ship you to Butte, Montana. (laughs) So immediately, like at that moment, and I don't remember if I said it to him or not, but I knew in my heart, two things are true. One, if I join the FBI, I'm going to Butte, Montana. (laughs) And two, the only FBI agents I'm really going to like and get along with are are all going to be in Butte, Butte, Montana. Montana. (laughs) Because the rest of these guys who just do everything they're told and keep their opinions to themselves, I never met. You didn't meet police like that, did you? I did. I did. You really did. They just kept their opinions to themselves, and did it? plenty. They're
0: most of them are commanders
1: now. <laughs> oh, okay. Now there's some truth to that. But what yeah, I absolutely. mean is, at least the young guys I worked with, every one of them was a you know an army of one in terms of what they they thought. Now they might have followed orders and done it the way they were told, but they weren't shy about saying to anybody else, "This is crazy. This is what we ought to do. We ought to change this policy." At least I felt like I worked with an awful lot of creative guys. Came up with creative ideas, shared those ideas, and also I always felt we had input into the rules and regulations of the department, the policies of the department, and so forth. I really believed we had input. I'm not saying what we said went. You didn't feel that in Baltimore City. What? That you had input into the policy.
0: Absolutely not. I mean, you could open your mouth, but you you would be blackballed for it. Was that a
1: net negative then?
0: Yes, and it still is. Look at the crime running rampant. That's why they can't hire people because either you do open your mouth and you're treated like that or you keep your mouth shut and you ascend while keeping your mouth shut and nothing gets done. So
1: I'll just say, look, it could have changed in the you know decades since that breakfast and likely has, although still the FBI is well known for being a top-down not a down up Mm -hmm. uh, authority, meaning, you know, the authorities at the top, it tells everybody underneath what to do and everybody falls in line and does the way they're told to do it and so forth. And I will tell you as a result, my personal experience dealing with cases investigated by the FBI and other cases, I've, I've only had two cases in my career where the FBI was the investigating agency. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, the investigator is one of the most creative, most interesting people I'd ever met in my life. And he told me, the agent told me, because I at some point got the opportunity to speak with him privately and confidentially about his investigation. And I told him how impressed I was with an idea he had, how he took that idea, ran with it, It was successful. He then published a paper on this for other FBI agents, and I went on and on kind of gushing how impressed I was. You were gushing? You know what he told me? What? Yeah, they're shipping me uh, to Iraq. I'm going to be doing investigations in Iraq. Mm. And I took from that 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 was a net negative, (laughs) meaning— Not butte.
0: But Iraq. Right, right. Well, in those days, they didn't
1: have an Iraq need. I know, right? So they sent you to Butte. Now they send you to Iraq. And I remember thinking to myself— See you when you get back. Yeah, no, I just remember thinking to myself, this is so kind of sad that this very, very creative investigator finds himself trapped in a situation where his creativity and expertise is a net negative for his career. Yep. That was my, so I left with a negative impression about the FBI on that. They want cowardly lions.
0: They want you to be able to roar, but we don't want to hear it. <laughs> they Search, want cowardly I, lions. <laughs> I think that's a very good point. Yep. Now, you've asked me what my cho- binary choice was. What would be your binary choice? Would you like that 11 small agencies or the, the mighty, mighty FBI?
1: Actually, Serge, uh, although I recognize that the 11 small agencies would create a new type of infighting and all sorts of bureaucratic problems, right now I'd be in favor of it for this reason. I just believe that we've got literally 115 years of experience with the FBI, and it's not working as well as it ought to be. So I'm in favor of experimentation, just like Uh, CEOs in major corporations frequently break down into smaller corporations, experiment some buy the others, you get big, you, you break it up and you try again a different way. I think we ought to try that with our FBI.
0: While I understand where you're coming from, this is not corporate America. So I don't think that all this production minded experimentation is a good idea. So, you know, who, who knows who's right? So, uh, so
1: fair enough, Serge. We'll just we'll just let the FBI continue giving bonuses. <laughs> That's but where we are. Bonuses I, we're talking the, about changing it. I don't see them really okay, talking about changing bonuses it. Bonuses to the 36 uh, field offices for uh, for designing new ways to measure productivity.
0: Let's just hope we don't end up on the wrong side of it. <laughs> Let's hope.
1: Right. At the end of this podcast— Serge and I have a common goal that we're not one of the ten most wanted (laughs) at the post office. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines. Thank you. But life is never easy. There's work to be done and obligations to be met, obligations to truth, to justice, and to liberty. This podcast is the copyrighted property of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines Incorporated, a Maryland corporation. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the written permission of the owner is prohibited. For more information, we invite you to visit the website, blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. All of the words in the URL address use common spelling and are typed together with no spaces. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we welcome your remarks through email. The email addresses of the co-creators, Serge Antonin and Clark Ollers, may be found on the website.